What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Crazy Face Uno podcast, where everyone has a story and everyone's story matters. What's your story? If you'd like to support the show and help us tell more stories like the one you're about to hear, please visit crazyfaceuno.com today, where you can purchase items from our online store or donate. As always, I'm your host, Shane McNeely, and boy, are you in for a treat today. It is my honor and privilege to introduce my guest today, an old friend, acquaintance from the Invisible Children days, Melanie Bittner. Welcome, Melanie. Did I say your name right? Yes, you did. Nice job, Shane. Perfect. Perfect. That was the one thing I forgot to ask in the beginning. I always like to make sure I get people's name correctly. And um, so, perfect. Well, welcome to the show. You did great. No melon, you got Melanie, no Melanie, Melane, Melani, <laughs> no Melania, please. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for uh, coming on the show and sharing your story. As I kind of teased a little bit in the beginning, we we first met through Invisible Children. You were one of our contacts uh, when I was traveling through Indiana. Yeah. And uh, you brought us to your school. Uh, surprise, everyone. Uh, she is a teacher. Um, and yeah, you brought us to your school and, and helped do some fundraising with Schools for Schools and allowed us to present to your students. That was incredible. Um, I was actually introduced to Invisible Children through another friend of mine um, who was a colleague and her daughters, um, her daughter and a bunch of her friends from their church decided that they were going to get involved. And once they told me a story of what was happening um, in Gulu and showed me the Invisible Children video, I was just compelled. I was I was in. Yeah. and so I talked to my kids about it, and they were only fifth, sixth grade at the time. I, I loop with my kids, yeah. Um, and they, so they were they were really young, um, but I just felt like this was something that my kids could see that could help them to realize the world is much bigger than their own struggles. Yeah. And they really jumped on board and were so passionate about the movement. Um, I was up in Chicago for the rescue. For a couple of different occasions, um, sang out in front of Oprah's studios. Um, I'm in. I'm in the documentary. That that was something. Going out to DC and and working on the end and doing the lobbying. That was still. It's it's been a decade, and that's been one of the most powerful experiences. I'm still connecting to people because of Invisible Children. I've done a couple things and met with Jolie. Um, Say, so just it just spiraled. Um, I have a friend who reached out who is at Notre Dame. I yeah. got an email that said hello from a Ugandan, and I was <laughs> really. And so he was doing international peace studies. Um, we're we're still in contact. He said, "Hey, whenever you're ready to come to Uganda, you let me know, and wow. I'll take you on a tour of, of my country." Yeah, that's cool. So yeah, it's 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 amazing. Yeah, Invisible Children has, it's it's funny, the stories, um, they just come from it. Even us that have worked there and, and people that have, you know, we've, we've connected and we've all been able to, like, have this, um, I don't know, it, it's just created such an opportunity uh, with the connections that you make and the relationships that we've built. Um, you mentioned a couple different things, and I don't know how much I've 
really mentioned, I haven't talked a whole lot. I mean, I have and I haven't uh, about Invisible Children, but yeah, there was a couple of events that you, you mentioned. The one was the rescue, which was, I was actually in college. So that was my senior year, uh, junior year, junior year. I don't know. doesn't matter. Um, and yeah, we went to Chicago. So it was just this event that we put on and, and ended up all around the country. And, and we uh, kind of waited and you, you had to get rescued by a money mogul, um, person of influence, or um, I don't know. What was the other thing? There was something else. I think it was just money or people of influence. Yeah, and I think it started off with, yeah, somebody that was some sort of significant presence needed to go on to the media yeah. and make a statement about it. And so right. um, the person in charge at that point of the Chicago rescue was Natalie Warren. Right. And she was trying to get Oprah, and it seemed almost impossible. And then she got Oprah. Voila! And yeah, yeah, that was that was amazing. My kids in my classroom, we found out that I'd just been up there the day before, um, and they found out like, oh my gosh, you know, they're going on, yeah. and they're trying to like literally shoo me out the door to drive to Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, you guys, I'm not gonna make it in time. It's it's yeah. just gonna have to be okay. Yeah, it was cool. I was there as well. I was right there in the, you know, when she did the broadcast and uh, brought us on. So it was really cool to be a part of that. And that was, yeah, that was one of the, you know, I'd been a part of Invisible Children and kind of, uh, you know, helping put on events like you did for us when I started working there, um, you know, for a while when I worked at, or when I was at school in, in South Bend in Mishawaka there. And, uh, it was later, you know, I mean, that was like a pivotal point. It was just something that felt so big, felt so important. And uh, I think it's, you know, it's cool. Like you mentioned that your students and them being engaged and just showing people the opportunities that are available out there and, and the ways mm -hmm. that they can make a difference in the world and um, give back and be a part and that the world is not just the little tiny school in town or, or city that we live in. It's it's so much bigger than that. And, and uh, we need each other. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Melanie, fill us in a little bit on what you're up to today, um, kind of present day work and, and, and whatnot, whatever you want to tell us about that. You did mention uh, that you're on a loop schedule with your students. Um, if you wouldn't mind also kind of going into that a little bit and explaining more about what that is like and what that means. Yeah, um, my capacity's changed a little bit. Um, I have moved school districts, okay. um, so I'm I'm in my third year in in a new school district. Um, cool. But I still teach fifth and sixth grade. That's okay. that's pretty much been been my thing. I've been this is my twentieth year teaching, and I just I don't know where the time has really gone. Yeah. Um, because I don't I don't feel that old, and I remember my very first year teaching. Mm -hmm. um, yet two decades have gone by, and and here we are. Yeah. Um, but looping is basically the concept of keeping students for two years, um, and it doesn't matter what those those two years are. I've seen it happen from first to second grade. I've heard of it happening all the way up to seventh up through eighth grade. Yeah. Um, so there really isn't an age an age restriction there. Um, I found so many benefits to it because the kids get to know you, mm -hmm. you build those relationships, you build the relationships with the parents. Um, a lot of times kids will pull away a little bit toward the end of the year because they know they have to say goodbye. Yeah. Um, 
And so we actually don't have to do that until two years. Yeah. In, which, yes, it makes it makes it harder. Um, it's it's agony. There's yeah. nothing worse than staring <laughs> at an empty room at the end of the year I'm and sure. and knowing that that you know that time has passed. Yeah. Um, at this point, I have a split class of fifth and sixth grade. Um, they're all designated high ability or gifted, um, which I know you've had some guests on that are more in the special education realm. Yeah. And so what I'm doing is just kind of on, on the other end of that spectrum. Sure. So it has kids or kids in a lot of ways. I mean, it's, you know, mm-hmm. humanity is very universal. Um, yeah. but there are some, some specific needs and challenges and, and things that I try to do. Sure. Um, I'm, I was that kid. I just tell them, I'm like, look, you know, I'm, I'm the grown up high ability kid and, and my name gets to be on the door, but I'm so much like you and, and I really want to be able to help you. Um, and so we've, we've got some really magical things that, that happen when you get to have kids for two years. Yeah, that's awesome. Two years. Is that, is, is that like a common thing in Indiana or in South Bend? No, no. it really isn't. Okay. Um, yeah. I, I don't I really just, hear that much. Uh, I just didn't know. Um, the thing is, is that it it can work really well, and it's free. It doesn't cost anything yeah. to have teachers stay for two years. Um, so it can be very enticing, but you have to have the people that are dedicated to being with the kids for two years, um, not having a problem with learning two different grade levels of curricula, which I don't mind. It's really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but... When I was in South Bend, um, I taught with my husband for 14 years in the same building. Nice. Um, that was really unplanned, um, but it ended up working out really well. We almost ended up as an extra set of parents yeah. because our, our school was was very high poverty, um, high minority. There was there was a lot of trauma, just a lot of need, and it was yeah. good. It was good for the kids to have two of us there, um, along with all the other, you know, staff and people that were, were doing similar work to what we were doing. But that offer was put on the table for people who wanted to to do that looping. Um, and it came and went while I was there. Um, my husband and I remained consistent doing it um, as long as we could. There were a couple toward the end. Um, we had to make some shifts. And so he and I both ended up in sixth grade. Um and that worked out just fine. Yeah. And say so now what I'm doing is the the class is basically half fifth grade, half sixth grade. Okay. And so they'll they stay for two years, but every year half of them are continuing on and half of the kids are coming in new. Yeah. Yeah. Which makes sense. I mean, it's uh it's but it's kinda nice too. I mean, it gives you Instead of having to, as a teacher, you know, like every year have to relearn everything and like re like that baseline is already kind of formed right. um, for half of your students, at least. So it, it, it also provides a little more brain space probably for you to invest into students that are new coming in. Absolutely. And it's been really nice since um, I've changed district. My, my class size is actually smaller. Yeah. Um, and that means I can get to know the kids faster. Um, mm. I can get to know them more personally. Yeah. So, and this year I'm actually I only brought back only seven kids returned. Really? Um, yeah. The the sixth grade class that I had last year was was a little bit bigger, and the group that I had that were fifth grade were smaller. Yeah. So I'm bringing in. I brought in fourteen of my twenty one are new this year. Um, wow. But man, there's just something magical. I mean, by October, we were just, we were on lock. And 
and the things that they do for, for one another is just incredible. They're, there's no drama. They're incredibly kind mm. to each other. It's, it's something to see. Sometimes I just stand in the room and just look around and I'm like, wow, I just, I don't even want to move for fear that I like break the flow of just, <laughs> there should be like swirling glitter or something. It's, it's really fantastic. Yeah. That's so cool. That's really awesome. What classroom size, you mentioned classroom size and I don't know, in my personal opinion, and I, I would love your, your input or your thoughts on this, but I, I feel like it's so important. It's so hard. I, I see, you know, in, in Minnesota, there's some high school classrooms that were like, over 30 kids, you know, like in, in certain classes. And it's like, man, you talk about, you've talked about relationships already and building these relationships and having these. And I, I feel like that should be a priority and something that's important in the education world. Um, and I think that classroom size is a big component to that. Um, do you have any thoughts or opinions on that? Oh, when it comes to education, I have opinions on everything. <laughs> um, but yeah, I agree that class size really does make a difference. Um, there's kind of, there's there's a sweet spot, I think, of anywhere between, yeah. I mean, if you can get into the teens, I mean, that's just unbelievable. Right. And I do think that, you know, on these lower grades, kindergarten, when you're really getting them started, and truly there's so much brain development that should have already taken place in kindergarten, mm-hmm. but th- the world is hard. You know, I, I do think that since, since the recession way back in, in 2008, it's still, it's still affecting us and it's still affecting our most vulnerable populations. Um, where do you, how do you see that? Like, how do you see, what do you see, uh, the effects of that now? Or like, how do you, I feel like wages still have not gone up enough. Mm -hmm. Um, and when you have unskilled, what we call unskilled workers, which, you know, I don't even know what I think about that anymore. It's, it's gotten to the The point where, yeah, um, yeah, I don't like that very much. Each of us has, has <laughs> each of us has a capacity to contribute, and the way that we define work, I think, really needs to change. Yeah. Um, so we, you know, we have the minimum wage that's been very stagnant. Mm-hmm. We have this gig economy that people are trying to piece together enough to take care of their families. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's just a lot going on, and so when you send your your kids to school your teachers are tasked with, with a lot of things, even yeah. when you have a very supportive parent, that doesn't mean that they're able to do all of it. Um, even in, in our more suburban or affluent schools, those kids still have their own struggles. Oh yeah. And I, and I really feel like as you head in to adolescence, we're really dropping the ball, mm. um, as a nation with education, because yeah. the brain research is showing that these, that adolescent mind is changing and developing until you're 25 years old. Right. And so to leave these kids kind of hanging in a room where there's 30, 35 people and you're changing classes every, you know, 45 or even 90 minutes, it's still, there's, there's not enough time yeah. for the teachers to be able to reach out and do all that, that needs to be done. And, and people just want to be connected with yeah, our, I, I our students. They need that, and and they hide so much of their pain, yeah. um, and they even hide what they love and what they care about. That's just yeah. everything is is so masked. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like we we can just we can do a better job. Yeah, and I think that the me, this time of year or time of uh, the world, I don't know, um, mm-hmm. is you know, it, 
it's like a it's literally like like a technology revolution you know and yeah. we're in the the beginning stages of that and i don't think that we fully understand the ins and outs of that and how that's affecting you know people and mm-hmm. and it's you're getting it at the fifth and sixth grade level but man that's it's starting so much earlier now you know like when i yes. i was i was what first grade and i remember the the new apple computers that we got you know and you got like to do a few things on there and then came powerpoint was the next big thing you know and sixth grade and you know and now it's like that's just it's technology world you know i i don't know if you guys do but i know a lot of the middle schools a lot of the schools in minnesota already have you know ipads and they do a lot of the work on ipads through schoology and and through these different things and the technology is very beneficial right it helps yes. in a lot of ways, but there's still repercussions to that and still, yeah, there's still, there's still pieces to that. And we haven't figured out all of those things out. And I think that plays into it as well, um, personally, but, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's a, but I think that the biggest thing that we're lacking in some ways, and, and honestly, this podcast is one way that I, I'm trying to. I want or crazy face Uno in general is is like telling people's stories right we've lose we're losing this human connection in some ways yeah um, this like deep story this like this is who I am this is what happened I mean I've talked about it so many times on here but when's the last time you sat down and just like told your story or talked about your life and like with even your friends even your close friends yeah. you know it's like it's just not something this platform this environment isn't widely you know I'm not saying there aren't exceptions but it's just not widely used and uh, done and I think that well technology's not going anywhere it's it's going to be around and why not tell people's stories and, and allow people to connect uh, in some fashion uh, through yeah. storytelling so and you know there's there's things like NPR has story core yeah. which those stories are incredible yep. Um, the moth radio hours is really cool for, for telling some of those stories, but those are a lot more structured. Yeah. Um, and then you, you hear from celebrities mm-hmm. and, and it's great to feel like you connect with, with someone else. Um, yeah. especially someone that you, you know, you see for a prominent reason, Right. but there's a lot of us that say, we just, nobody asks you what's your story. And sometimes right. they don't really want to hear it because, you know, some of the things that are so deeply embedded in us are either the things that are, are really painful mm-hmm. or it's the things that are really wonderful. And yeah. sometimes you can be accused of being a little too optimistic because you're choosing to focus on some of the really amazing things that happen. And yeah, you're not allowed to tell your story. You're not allowed to like tell your, yeah. you know, the things you've accomplished and the things you've done. And, and I, you know, another part of Crazy Face Uno is empowering, loving, and celebrating uh, people, projects, and causes. Like that's that's like at the root of what we're doing, or what I'm trying to create, or what we're trying to create here at Crazy Face Uno is telling stories to empower, love, and celebrate people, projects, and causes. And uh, you know, it, we'll see how that grows and how we move into that space. But I, I I completely agree. It's it's not something like, hey, let me tell you my story. You know, like that that's off putting and. I would be even off. Well, or, or it sounds <laughs> it sounds very enticing. Like, yeah. oh yeah, that would be great. And as soon as you start to kind of just process that in your own mind, all of a sudden it becomes, oh yeah, my my story is a lot more complex than yeah. that. And yeah. How much do I really want you know 
to share. For people and to to, show. Yeah. How, you know, yeah. what is that sharing going to mean? How is it going to be interpreted? Yeah. You say one thing that's slightly taken the wrong way, and then next thing you know, yeah. you know, it's not even you're unfriended. It's you're sitting in a meeting, and you're like, Dang wait, that, yeah. <laughs> that wasn't how that was intended. Yeah, yeah, but you're then, 100% you know, correct. But again, we're so quick to also turn around and do the same thing to others of, well, he shouldn't have done that, or he shouldn't mm-hmm. have said that. Yeah. Again, I think it gets back to humanity, you know? I mean, mm. there's... We, we are a very nuanced species, so I think we need to be really careful about judging so quickly and, and pointing fingers. Yeah, I agree. And I, I hope that we can find a, a road to redemption, you know. We all make mm-hmm. mistakes, humans, and, you know, I talked about that before we got going. It's like, well, if I mess up in the very beginning, uh, I might I might restart the, the intro. But <laughs> other than that, like, I just kind of roll with it, you know. And, yeah. And I, I want this to have that organic natural feel. And, and I think it's important just to show like, Hey, like it's okay. It's okay. We're not, we're not perfect here. It's, it doesn't have to be this polished thing. And, and like, yes. this is authenticity and, and I'm, this is genuinely what this is. So take it, leave it, whatever you want, but here it is. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but I love that. Yeah, absolutely. Melanie, as we, you know, we've talked a lot about education. I'm sure we'll get back around to that as well, but let's take a step back and let's go back quite a ways let's go to uh childhood how would how would you describe your childhood what was your childhood like oh my goodness my childhood was was a really mixed bag um i was actually born at the university of michigan hospital um in ann arbor and my mom always wants to share the story um that maternity wards had been closing all around the country because the birth rates were down so that was kind of her her only option um and I wasn't raised with, with a lot of money, raised with a lot of creativity, um, a lot of love, a lot of really good food, even when we, we were struggling. <laughs> so I, I found I do show my love through food at this mm. point, um, so which, which is great because when you, when you have a room full of students and you and want to bring them food, they're, they're good with that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so my, my grandfather, and I, and I was... I didn't see any of my grandparents a lot growing up. We were pretty isolated. Um, and so I always felt like my, my upbringing was a little different. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm an only child, so and I literally have no cousins. So, oh. yeah, my oh. mom is, is a middle child. Neither of her brothers had children. And so it was just kind of me. Yeah. Um, I can relate to other- that. I was an only child growing up. I oh, know. were you? I have three cousins that came along you know, middle school, that fifth, sixth grade time, probably mm-hmm. maybe a little younger than that. But, and then I have a stepbrother and sister now, but yeah. Yeah. But I so grew up as an only child as well. So only children unite. Right. And I have a <laughs> lot of them in my class right now. And I'm like, Hey, you know, a lot of left-handed only children. So yeah. we're, we're all in that bag <laughs> together. Um, so yeah, I was, I was kind of unique from, from the onset. So I'm left-handed. Um, I was born on April Fool's Day, so that's that's also a really fun birthday for yeah. kids to celebrate with their teacher. For sure. Um, when I was three, we moved up to Shavehead Lake in Michigan, um, really out in the middle of nowhere. Like, yeah. we, we joke about parents and grandparents that tell these stories about having to walk so far to get somewhere. I'm yeah. like, <laughs> yeah, that was actually me. Um, I had to walk a half a mile just to meet my bus. Mm. And met my bus in another school district. 
Yeah. Um, it was a 45 minute bus ride. We were all the way. We were like the, almost like the turnaround point before we started heading back into school. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went there kindergarten through 12th grade. I graduated from there. Um, that was kind of a mixed bag. I was, I was the really nerdy kid who like loved her teachers mm-hmm. and more than her classmates. Yeah. Um, but I think because I lived so rurally once summer came or vacations, you know, winter break, spring break, I didn't see any of those kids. Yeah. So try, trying to maintain a connection when you're gone for two and a half months was, was a little tricky. Sure. Um, there were neighborhood kids, but we were so dispersed in age. Like the one, there was one girl who was a year below me and there was another girl, um, who is four years older than me. And we're all still, we all still keep in touch, um, mostly through Facebook at this point. But, um, and you know, the, the one who was four years older than me, even though we don't see each other as much as, as I would like, um, we were in each other's weddings. Um, three of us, we all became teachers. There's something in the water. Um, so yeah, education was, was always important for me. And because of some of the struggles that we had, um, with my parents working in the RV industry, both my parents, um, were electricians by trade. Yeah. Um, but they were never in the electricians unions. Okay. Um, they were doing more like circuit board kinds of things. Um, for a while they worked, with one of the first companies to make underwater metal detectors, oh, which wow. was kind of cool. Yeah. Um, and so my mom, you know, of course, being, being, I say, of course, because that was kind of the reality that we grew up with was she being, being female, regardless of her skill set, yeah. um, was never going to be invited in, into the, the electricians union. That just wasn't right. going to happen. Yeah. And, Every year, right around this time, the industry would start to slow down, and inadvertently, about the time you're like, hey, everything's going to be good, one of them would get laid off. And so yeah. that a crunch on everything. It wasn't even like, oh, I hope Christmas will be okay. My mother made Christmas magical every single year. She didn't ever need to make efforts to make bigger, better it was always something special, you know, going to bed. Um, she would always get me, my parents would buy me a book or a set of books. Um, we didn't know that was an Icelandic tradition back at the time. Um, yeah, we're like, oh, look at us being so cultural. Um, but yeah, I mean, and, you know, waking up in the morning and, and you know, doing the stocking, that kind of thing. Yeah. She, regardless of where we were financially, she always made sure that, that I had what I needed and ultimately that I had the support um, that I needed. So yeah, financially things were always a little funky. Um, isn't that funny to like look back on though? And you see, I I don't know, like for me personally, you know, like everybody, I mean, most people have at some point in time have like a financial thing that you're like, Oh, but I look at my family as well. Like, you know, we, we did fine. You know, my mom had to work really hard at times. And Mm -hmm. I look at the sacrifices that my family has made for me. And at the, at the time, you don't think about the stress and like what that was like oh, for I, them. Oh, I always thought about it. Did always. you? Always. Yeah. See, I don't know that I ever did it, but looking back now, as I've gotten older, I'm like, wow, like man, I'm so appreciative of the things that my mom, and my dad, and just my family like did for me and provided because I, I knew that it was tough, but I think it was that like, again, 
uh, my brain wasn't fully f- formed. Yeah. I wasn't, well, I wasn't there, there were, yet, there, you know? Like, there know. were some things that would happen and often enough that it was really obvious yeah, um, okay. that we were struggling. And, and that just, it just never left me. But it yeah. also never left me. Like when I got older and I would be going off, you know, to stay the night with a, with a friend or stay the weekend. And my mom would give me, you know, literally her last $20 yeah. on, you know, on Thursday night, you know, and, and she would tell me, you know, I want to make sure that you have money to go to the movies or have a meal. She would always tell me if you can try to save some for lunch next week. Yeah. And as much as I could, I would, I would always try to do that. She, she worked incredibly hard Mm. and I already knew, but there were years when she was dealing with so much abuse at work. Um, she would sit in the parking lot and cry and, and insurance, you know, in the eighties insurance, was probably not as good as it even was today um it was incredibly expensive and so oftentimes she could only afford to insure herself um Mm. and so you know there there were medical needs that were going on unmet sometimes there was just a lot and so for me like i learned a lot of what i wasn't going to do for a career like i i had for me it felt imperative that i go to college yeah um i've always been built for school Um, I was sent, even though I went to a very rural school, I was sent to a lot of opportunities for gifted kids and creative kids. Sometimes they would put a few of us on a little bus and send us to the other side of the county to go do activities. I mean, I learned how to do calligraphy and and neat things like that, that I still share with my students. Um, and so I knew like college just has to, has to happen. I wasn't sure what it was going to be. Um, by the time it got to high school, it was looking like journalism. Um, so I was editor of my paper in high school and went to two years of college for that and then didn't know what I wanted to do because I started to realize that I was not the person that really wanted to put a microphone in someone's face after yeah. something tragic had happened and ask some variation of how do you feel? Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure I know how you feel and I just want to be there to like help you and listen and mm-hmm. you know, can I wrap a blanket around you and here's a cup of coffee, tea, hot cocoa, what works and can I just be here to either listen or just be? Yeah, and, the empathy and, was, was a part of oh, you. Oh yeah, and, and I see how what's happened to news over the last two decades Mm, and i'm incredibly grateful that that's not the path that i took i feel like our people in in media um boy the corrupt ones really are not helping and the ones that are just really trying to do the best that they can to to give facts and give truth yeah they're getting beat up on the other side because people don't maybe understand that there is fact and truth to be found out there yeah it's hard it's hard that's a it's a rough industry. It's just like damned if you do, damned if you don't kind yeah, of scenario, yeah. you know? And, and I think everybody's everybody's jobs are hard. I mean, I, I talked to my doctor um, who's like very small town, um, like Doc Baker. It's like he is is the, um, the general practitioner and his wife is his secretary. And he's talked about what it takes to r- renew his license and all the yeah. ridiculous hoops that he has to jump through i mean you're hearing about all these industries and i feel like we're we need to talk to each other as 
as a system of employment because the system of employment and careers is is really broken. Mm-hmm. And I think we're also stuck in our own part, you know, of oh, media is so hard and being a teacher is so hard. It's all really hard. Yeah. Um, and I think it's gone beyond like, okay, well, having a job is hard. We know that. Yeah. Um, there's something more, I think, on underlying going on. And, you know, it's not like a conspiracy theory. I think it's just yeah, things are harder and, and they don't necessarily need to be. Yeah, and I think it goes back in some ways to just society today, you know, and, and this mm-hmm. this new – I like to think of a lot of things. I, I think life is best when it's in this balance, right, when, when it's balanced. but Absolutely agree. And it's like this pendulum that swings. We see it all the time, you know, like the pendulum swings one way and then it swings the other way. And, and it's like in the middle is like this nice, beautiful spot. But we're I feel like we're just – the pendulum's a little higher on one side mm-hmm. right now. And it's got to come and, back, you know. Well, and, Something's got to balance out. But and, and I've to tell stopped, what that is. <laughs> I've stopped doing that. Um, I feel like I'm in, I'm in my 40s now. And at some point – I don't know how many years ago I just stopped trying to climb whatever ladder that was there. Yeah. Um, because I, I think I was, I was kind of done climbing the rungs of education. Yeah. I, I had considered becoming an administrator. I thought about being a principal that does not, that concept doesn't bring me joy. Um, I've come to realize that I think I'm best right where I am yeah. in a classroom with this age group of kids. Um, what I like to make more money Sure, we we probably all would if you're sitting in the middle class or below, um, and that you know those those struggling working gig economies, you know whatever it is. But I have just stopped that whole idea that I have to work myself ragged as some sort of sense of nobility. I'm tired of it. Yeah, I'm I'm tired of living in a culture that that promotes working yourself literally to death. Yeah, and that was part of the reason I switched school districts. I mm. was working myself to the point that my health was paying the price. Yeah, and yep. I had to be done. Yeah, it's made- that life is a balance. I'm telling you, and and, and I'm creating healthy boundaries. Yeah, I good. have to do that with my students because, um, again, I think all kids have this, but high ability students can sometimes really exacerbate this idea of perfectionism Mm -hmm. and giving 110%. um, And that's really unhealthy. And so I had to promote with them of exactly that, the the life balance of, I don't believe in giving a lot of homework. There's plenty of research out there that says at this age, it's really not benefiting the kids. Mm. And most kids have hobbies, so why do I need to send them home with more work to do? Yeah, it foster also creativity really, and, and yeah. exploration. It also sends a really broken message of, you know, most of your parents, when they work, at the end of the day, they come home and their work is done. Yeah. Their children, their work should also have an ending point at some at some time yeah. that that is reasonable. Now, if kids are, you know, I've had them ask, Hey, can I work on this at home? And they're excited. Absolutely. Go. I'm glad you're, you're ready and and you want to push on. Mm -hmm. But if I have a kid who says, Hey, Wednesday, I really, I can't do anything after school. Okay. Then Wednesdays are just simply off the table for you. You Mm -hmm. don't need to apologize for that. We just work around it. Yeah. So if I have to choose between 
a hard deadline and teaching kids at this age about a deadline or teaching these kids about learning and learning themselves and their own brain and having a sense of life balance, I'm not going to worry about the deadlines right now. I've I've lived by deadlines. Yes, they're there. But I would rather have a kid that is emotionally stable and balanced and is actually able to enjoy learning. Yeah. It feels like schools have, have kind of ruined learning. Like the whole reason we went is so broken. Mm. And so I'm trying to untrain my students of like, well, why, why would you really want to come? Yeah. And we just shift the, the whole paradigm in our room so that they are empowered, which has always been one of my favorite words um, for life and for education. Absolutely. It so sounds like, like it sounds like you you really foster this like really honest and, and a great place for students. Did you like if you look back in and your education, you know, yourself, did you have a teacher or anyone that you felt like kind of fostered that for you or inspired you or had your back or uh, um, anything like that? Yeah, I, I think they're all the way through. I, I was very fortunate to, to have really good teachers. Um, I had a few that really were like, yep, this is what I don't want to do. You are not the role model I'm looking for. Sure. But for the most part, um, I can I can tell you every single one of my teachers from kindergarten all the way up through sixth grade, I can you know picture my hallways at my schools and tell yeah. you who was in pretty much every classroom. Um, I'm still friends with some of my, um, with some of my high school teachers. And so, yeah, they, they took care of me, um, in ways that I know I will never fully understand. And again, I was an only child. I, you know, a lot of kids, like they, they have the benefit or the detriment, I guess, of having siblings and just, you know, there's somebody else that's kind of helping you make that name in that school system. I lived 20 miles from my school and I was an only child. Um, and I didn't think I was out to make a name for myself, but, but somehow I, I guess I did. I went back to my middle school after like 17 years and my seventh grade science teacher, like just took him a second and he knew exactly who I was. (laughs) That's awesome. Wow. That's, that's impressive. Um, but yeah, my, my freshman English teacher, Mary was phenomenal and, and one of those people that just really helps helps to bring you into the fold of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and her husband was my art teacher um, for all four years of school. Um, this past spring, I, I've been in touch with them for a long time through Facebook, but I actually yeah. got a chance to go and visit them. And I was able to buy a painting, um, an original Fred painting that now hangs in my living room wall. Aww. So. That's yeah, so cool. I mean, I, that may as well just be a, a Van Gogh or a Picasso hanging on my wall. It just it means everything to have a piece of art from somebody who is so influential and such a role model and continues to be. And what what do you think? What was it? Was it just her her connection or her like what was what was what made her special? What set her apart? What? Um. And again, sometimes it was like both of them doing something similar but different. I think just letting us be ourselves. Mm. Um, there was a lot of opportunity for us to explore things that we were interested in. Um, me having a really creative mind and her teaching English, it gave me a way to connect through through poetry, um, just through, through free-form types of writing. And 
she got to know us. Um, she knew us as individuals. We did some career studies um, that helped to kind of guide us along. And she was passionate. Um, she was funny. I think I think a sense of humor goes a really long way yeah. um, with, with kids. I think it just gives you a sense of you can lighten up. Um, it's fine to be serious and to care about things. I yeah. care deeply about a lot of issues so much so that I, I have to kind of tamp it down a little bit. Um, just so that I, I don't overwhelm myself. Um, (laughs) yeah, sure. But, but I think there's, you know, you, you have to be willing to laugh at yourself, laugh with others, you know, make bad jokes and enjoy some, some silly puns because otherwise what's, you know, what's really the, the point of just being so stuffy all the time. You are one of the, my, literally one of my most favorite people to follow on Facebook and, and, uh, whatnot, the <laughs> posts that you send and like the different posts you make with, I don't know, they're just like, you find the most obscure and like just cool little pieces that, uh, you put out into the world. And I'm always like, Oh, that's so cool. I've always like showing my wife, like, look at this, like, <laughs> check this out. This is so cool. Like you show her all the pictures of pretty shiny rocks that I post. I like those time. too. Hey, it's all, it's all good. <laughs> It's uh I don't know I love I love all your posts they're great. But, well, thank you. Yeah, I I don't know why that spurred, but like some of them are funny, you know, and I love that. And I I think you've got this sense of humor and this uh I don't know that's great. I love that. Um, as as you kind of continue to, will stay in the education world, I guess. Are there any like moments or stories or things that happen throughout? Um, your time in like middle school, high school, college, whatever, uh, that really stick out to you that, that mean something to you or were fundamental or monumental in, in your life? Oh yeah. Um, you know, there's some really cool things, just little snippets of things. Um, I am naturally pretty introverted. Um, I've been told that I am what you would call an expressive introvert that I, I can, walk the walk of, oh, yeah, I can be in the midst of things and speak publicly, and it sounds really great, and that's fine. But unlike an extrovert where that's very energizing for them, that's really draining for me. Yeah. Um, and I think that does come from, say, being raised in a very rural setting, mm-hmm. um, being an only child, um, spending a lot of time out in the woods. And in um, your own head. Yeah, I've I've learned <laughs> I've learned to listen to that that kind of quiet voice, mm. um, and say just my whole upbringing and having a mother who is very introverted, um, I'm say it just it doesn't it doesn't energize me. I can give and give and give, but then I'm like, oh, I need a nap, you guys. Yeah. So I think you know a lot of the things that that I reflect back on that are positive are academic opportunities um we did when i was in eighth grade we did a really cool little time capsule in our middle school and uh i had to get up and and speak a little bit but i got to record um u93's top 10 at 10 and that went into the time capsule Um, and i love i love music um and so that was that was a really fun little thing that i got to do yeah um freshman year i was i was in cheerleading which is like so odd because I'm really good at it. I'm, I'm good at dance, uh, gymnastics, sure. and maybe I'm not probably that good anymore. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was, I was really good at that. Um, 
but I'm also, you know, kind of jaded, a little cynical. And so having, it was, it really was almost like putting the, the singer pink in a cheerleading uniform. Yeah. Um, and saying, here, go be perky. <laughs> so, yeah, half the time I was in it, and the other half was like, how do I not scowl about some of the things we're sure, doing? Sure. And it was it was nobody's fault. It was just how I was wired up. The, yeah. the uniforms were super cute. Um, but I was one of the only two freshmen to make the JV squad, which was like kind of a little feather in my cap. I thought nice. that was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was a nice achievement. I felt like I really had to work for that. Um, my senior year, say I was editor of the paper, um, and I went down to Ball State for a week for journalism camp. And at the time, these news magazines were kind of the thing yeah. um, that a lot of the kids were talking about. And I wanted to give it a shot. Um, and my my teacher really was not for it at all. She really thought it was going to be a move backward. It was mm. just going to be nothing but something kind of run off the copy machine with a staple. And it was going to cheapen what we were doing. And I'm like, no, that's that's not my vision. I promise. Yeah. And she said, I will give you two issues. And I actually found my own printer um, that was like an hour the wrong direction from my house <laughs> or my school. Um, I was like driving to Decatur, Michigan, to this little printer out in a barn in the middle of nowhere. Um, the, the guy looked like maybe he was a cousin of ZZ Top and just sweet <laughs> He, he always would help me. And, and I look back, I'm like, here's this like 17 year old girl driving the middle of nowhere to meet some guy in a barn. <laughs> what was I thinking? Oh, so the good old I, days. Brought the, I brought the first issue in, um, gave my teacher her copy, just kind of left it on her desk and did my deliveries, went on my way. And next thing you know, I'm hearing from the other teachers in the English department, probably Mary, my freshman English teacher. Nice. And she said, um, your, your teacher is, can't show this to enough people. She's in the lounge bragging about how good it looks. Um, how your vision has really come to life that this, this is more than what she had expected. I just and got I chills. Like, That's so cool. I, it was, it was really, really powerful because even though she doubted me and I think I needed a little bit of that doubt. Yeah. Um, it empowered me to to try something on my own and then see that success. Um, and I really that's one of the things I love to give to kids is mm. the ability to to say yes to to their risk and see how it pays off. You know, if it doesn't, really what what harm is there? It's not hurting anything if you fail. Yeah. You you learn from it and in this case as as an editor of a paper, like what's gonna happen? You don't like the piece of paper it's on, we'll change it back. Right. So, yeah. 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 I love that. I love um, it's those moments when it's like someone supported you, you know, and, and you've mentioned it a few times like that, your freshman English teacher and, uh, you know, this, this story here. I have those stories for me come with athletics and my coaches. And I think it's one of the biggest reasons that I got into coaching. And it's one of the things that I loved when I was coaching. I'm not coaching currently since I've moved to Florida, but um, I loved again, the empowerment of looking and saying like, Hey, it's like, you're, you're in charge of your you know future, your destiny, right? Like you it's, it's in your hands. And yes. you've got to you've got to go get it, and don't make any excuses for it. If you want something, what like go get it, 
you know, and yeah. empowering someone and be like, if you need my help, I'm here. I want to help you get there. Right. But you have to tell me what you want. You have to tell me what you're willing to do and how what the links are that you're willing to go. I'll help you. I'll be there, you know, exactly. and, and have having that support and having having someone's back. I think that that is it's so important, especially at a young age, those mm-hmm. those fundamental age ranges you know this middle school fifth and sixth grade like you're in a uh, high mm-hmm. school uh, I think are just some of those those just key times in life where you're just trying to figure things out you don't have a clue yeah. what's going on right and you don't know what you're capable of and man look at us now I, I'm assuming we're probably all in about the same place and I don't even know what I'm capable of now you know right. and, and I think you know that's that's a never-ending journey yeah um, I was my my mom's philosophy of raising me um, was I'm not raising a child, I'm raising a future adult, mm. and that has just always resonated so strongly with me because when I'm when I'm working with my kids, they're not adults. They they should not be held to those those types of responsibilities or thinking, but they're practicing. And so to ask them to practice making choices or being in charge of something or taking a risk and doing something that, that is a little iffy and a little uncomfortable, sure. but it's small enough that they can have success with it. And even if they have failure with it, it's not so destructive that they're not going to try to come back later and, and try it again. Yeah. And it's a teaching moment even in the failures, you know, of yes. like, look, I actually, it- I want my kids to have some of that. Um, that's yeah. part of why um, I did a lot of, of STEM training um, for about six years. I haven't done much um, since I've left my school district, mainly because the grant that I was working under came to an end. But um, I was doing training of teachers and students, um, doing a lot of stuff with STEM. And I'm telling you, if I could, if I really chose to go back and get my PhD, which I would like to, but I just I'm. I'm not at a point where I'm, I think that that's going to be a, a choice that I'll make. There's just too much on the line. I'm not ready to like sell my house and yeah. <laughs> move to do and cut my income in half. And sure. um, but I really want to investigate the idea that I feel like teaching kids engineering, even basic engineering concepts, can reduce bullying. Mm. And it's, it's it seems like well that's a really big leap. Like how do we go from engineering to yeah. bullying? Um. But I think because and people it, can be and can so you break down STEM? What does STEM stand yeah, for? Yeah, so again? STEM is um, science, technology, engineering, and math. Okay. Um, and sometimes you'll hear it called STEAM, um, which yeah. incorporates art, which I think is fantastic because there is so much. There's so much science um, and tech and mathematics and art when you look Absolutely. at geometric things and the chemicals of blending colors and different paints and mediums um so much in there that's that's so easy to embed Mm -hmm. um but the engineering process inherently invites failure it invites you know you make you make a prototype that's a, a not it's a not a fully functioning model um and usually whatever the challenge is you'll see something that isn't working yet and I compare this a lot to kids with, like, video games. Well, when you're learning how to play a new game, you're probably – your character's going to die. You're not going to pass the level. You have mm. to go back through, and you're changing a little something for next time. Yeah. Well, that's what engineering is. You're yeah. just changing small things until you get to the thing that you need, and, and you have – criteria you have constraints there's lots of of great language and vocabulary and thinking but ultimately 
it invites the idea that failure is okay because it leads you to the next step where you have this amazing breakthrough. Yeah. And I think when, when kids start to get over that idea of, Oh, it doesn't always have to be perfect. There's a, there's a next shot. Um, it really frees up their mind. It frees up their emotions to, to not be so scared. Um, Mm. and I think when, when you remove that idea of failure and fear and, tamp that down or even completely just take it off the table kids are willing to actually try um and enjoy themselves in the process of trying um you see a lot of cooperation there yeah but ultimately i think this idea of it's okay to not get it right the first time if you share that concept with everybody else in a room Mm -hmm. well these kids aren't nearly as judgmental they're much more empathetic because They see, oh, yep, I struggled with this, and oh, yeah, you're struggling too. And whether they can give advice and help or just be there to, to observe, it just it creates a different sense of camaraderie in, in a room. And once you have those connections with the kids, I feel like that, that idea of, of bullying and judging and being cruel, mm-hmm. I feel like that, that can really be reduced. Yeah, that's an interesting idea or concept. I, I like it. I think... There's probably a lot of truth to that. It's it's finding, it's like a an environment that creates empathy in a way. Yes. Yeah. Allows and and it pushes the boundaries and it and it's great for the future. It's great for pushing people further, thinking critically, um, critical thinking, and just common sense in some ways. You know, and mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, yeah, I just, love that. You know- and then you combine that, we do genius hour once a week. And that can be anything from kids taking a bunch of cardboard and building marble mazes to right now I have a student um, who has a, a small cast of classmates and they are recreating four of the scenes and songs from The Sound of Music um, because we're, we're reading a novel that uses that as a reference. And so these kids are, are like developing all of these different kinds of things and, and taking these risks and yeah. say so when, when they're in that together and when you have a hobby, it feels like kids that or people that maybe don't have a lot of hobbies or a lot of other interests, they just start looking at others and, and picking other people apart. I'm like, you know, get, get a hobby, find something to do with it. Yeah. That is actually healthy. Um, whatever it might be. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I love that. When, when you were kind of looking into, I know I'm skipping around a little bit, but um, when you were kind of looking towards getting your college degree and, and going into college, were there things that like led you that direction? Or I know you mentioned like journalism was kind of on the table, but mm-hmm. how did you decide what you wanted to study? Um, well, it turns out that I've kind of always been a teacher, um, cool. and it really, I mean, I can go way back to helping my teachers when I was little. Lots of kids have that experience, mm-hmm. but um, when my grand, my grandfather on my dad's side passed away when I was 12, um, and that was the first time that we could actually afford to travel um, of any great distance um, because of some, some of the inheritance money, and my dad made a really smart decision of you know what, let's go learn how to downhill ski. We don't like winter, so let's maybe find a way to enjoy it. Yeah. And so we went um, we went up to Mont St. Anne in Quebec and took a week's worth of skiing lessons. 
And when we came back, um, Swiss Valley is our local little ski area. Right. And we started to go there. Um, and then by the time I was in eighth grade, we made another trip out to Winter Park, Colorado. Mm-hmm. Loved that. Um, and eighth grade was when I started teaching out there. Um, I started teaching the little kids where it was kind of part skiing, part daycare. Um, and then my dad joined the ski school department and started teaching lessons. And then my mom joined ski school. And then when I was 14, you were supposed to be 16 to be a ski instructor. Um, but I was hired at age 14. And so the following season I came in and started teaching all ages, um, school groups, private lessons for adults. Um, and so I did that for six years seasonally of teaching people how to ski. Um, so much joy and got, you know, got to meet people from all over. It was like the perfect social network for a high school girl, which was probably more fun than one should have. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of really just a lot of really fun memories and and just a lot of great conversations with my parents about instruction and, and how to teach people and how to teach people something physical, not just something academic. You know, your, your body is moving, you're on the hill, you've got you know, it's, it's you and gravity and trying to figure out how to navigate that. Mm -hmm. Um, and then my junior and senior year in high school, um, my art teacher, Fred invited me to go over to the elementary school. Um, that was a three, four, five grade level. And it was within walking distance. Um, he invited me to go teach a couple days a week over there. Um, and so I was teaching art to like third and fourth grade kids and loved that and, you know, showing them some of the, the master works and that kind of thing and then having them emulate some of those. And and then I moved to Texas for it's only a year. I actually got married down there, um, married an army guy that that lasted a couple of years. Um, <laughs> just just really got married way too young, you know, no sure. regrets, good person, but just, yeah. you know, not not the direction we were heading. Yeah. But I worked for um, I worked for Sally Mae. Okay. Um, and so the first week that I went there, there was a whole, a week long training to get you set and ready to work for this giant company. Right. Um, and the trainer that we had there, his name, um, was central. Um, and he was phenomenal. He was dynamic. He knew what he was talking about. And at that point I was like, huh, boy, education with like corporate training, that, that could be something I think I could, I could do that would really tap into some of my experiences and things that I, that I enjoy. I like helping people. I like showing people new things. Um, and so he really got me thinking. Um, and by the time I left the following summer, I knew that I was heading back home, back up to this area. Um, and I was probably going into education. Now at the time it was secondary education, um, I was going to go for social studies because I, I love history and yeah. civics and all those kinds of things. And I was really just kind of worried about being being a role model at that time. Sure. Um, I felt like I'd, I'd been through enough kind of traumatic experiences and, and just hard things. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm the person to be developing young minds. <laughs> um and then I was also really nervous about the math because um, I, I was not a strong math student. And I hate that because there's so many, you know, this idea that women in math. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, really? Yeah. Um, 
but a friend of mine, the, the girl down the street who was four years older than me that became a teacher, <laughs> um, she invited me to come to a professional development session on math at the school she was teaching at. And I left there just bursting with enthusiasm and just there were so many breakthroughs. I'm like, why didn't anybody ever show me this? And I have my mom on the phone, like, grab a pencil and a paper and let me show you this lattice method of multiplication. And I was just, I was changed. And at that point, I said, Mom, um, I might switch to elementary education. Mm. And she paused and she said, I kind of knew you would at some point. Oh, that's so sweet. I'm like, but of course, you know, I'm like, why wouldn't you tell me? But that's an, that's what good moms do. Right. They, they let you come across your own journey figure and your own out. path yeah. in your own time and figure it out. Yep. Um, and it turns out, like, turns out I am a really good role model. Um, I, I had to come to terms with that. If I knew when you go into teaching, I am going to be a role model all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just in the classroom. It's not just at my school. Um I will be seen in the community and, and my, my actions will matter. And, you know, not that many of my, my past actions are, are, are so terrible or questionable. They're very normal. Um, but it just, you know, it kind of felt like I, I had to grow up and it was time Yeah. and, and I was really ready. I was ready for that. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's an integrity piece, you know, it's it's being a role model in, in everything you're saying. It's just having integrity. Like it's being authentic, being genuine, both, in the classroom and in your own life and, and like yeah. having, having integrity and just being true to who you are. And I'm really bad at being two people. Um, I, I don't, I've never been able to do that. Yeah. Kinda, I'm, I'm what you see is, is what you get. Um, you that. know, I always joke, you know, that there might be a few more swear words behind the scenes, but yeah, right. truly, <laughs> aside from that, like <laughs> this is what you see in my classroom is, is how I act when, when I'm at home. It's how yeah. I act. When I travel. It's how I act when, when I'm out with friends, this, mm-hmm. this is really just who I am. And, and I think I had to come to terms with all of that. Um, having gone through things in, in, in school, I was bullied from about age five mm-hmm. until age 15, okay. um, in a variety of ways in, in my neighborhood, on my bus, in my school. Um, yeah. And I still, I mean, those things get in your brain pretty deep. Um, And unfortunately, I feel like, like, why won't they go away? Like, I'm in my 40s. Why are some of these things still there? Mm. Um, But I think because of being a teacher, I I tap into those experiences to empathize and to guide my students. Mm. And so that's, I've just had to come to accept, like, I'm good. I'm okay. I'm healed. I've, you know, I've I've taped over those cracks. It's it's fine. Um, but I do have to tap into some of those things to be able to, to help my kids move through some of the challenges that they're moving through. Yeah. I, I was bullied as well. Um, you know, and, and I still, you know, it's something I don't really talk a lot about and I don't know that I've actually have taped over some of those cracks. I think I just kind of masked it or or tucked it away in some ways, but yeah, I've noticed that more so in the last couple of years. And, and as I get older, I, I, those little, those little things come up and I'm like, Hmm, why did I respond that way? Or where did that come from? You know? And I'm like, huh, I wonder if that has something to do with it, you know? And, um, it's interesting, but I love that. I love, you know, I love you even thinking about and trying to like figure out, you know, talking about STEM and talking about some of these different, you know, engineering and, and to combat this, the idea of bullying and, and to create empathy and, 
um, tapping into your past experiences to, um, yeah, just share that with that, that piece of your life and that knowledge and that wisdom and that experience with your students. I think it's a, it's very important. Do you see a lot of that? Do you see bullying? Is it, is it prevalent? I I know it's hard to see bullying. I feel like too, it's, it's something we talk about, but it's a silent thing that happens behind the scenes and it's hard to, it's hard to really see and pinpoint and know what to do. (laughs) Um, I will say, I feel like when I was, when I was teaching previously, um, I was in a middle school, um, a fifth through eighth grade middle school for four years and it came in a lot of different forms. And I think what we had as, as an educator, what I also had to be careful of, and, and we, we had a lot of discussion of sometimes it is, it is just absolutely, it is bullying. It is targeted, consistent behavior, Yeah. but sometimes it is, it's two-sided this is like an argument like you were both involved and yes you felt attacked but you know verbally mostly um but you did something back so this is this is a two-way street here it's not the same um so i felt like i saw a lot more of that and it wasn't up until the last few years at my school um and the school that I was at did not have a good reputation. People would kind of cringe a little. Yeah. That wasn't what was happening in our building. Um, fights were were quite rare. Um, to say, not to say they didn't happen, but they happen in every school. Because, yeah. well, you have hundreds of people. Statistically speaking, you're going to have some conflict sometimes. That's just how it's going to go. Yep. Um, and, say, and you have developing minds and, and decisions that maybe don't go so well. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think, and, and I was there, granted, I was also there for 14 years. I've only been in my new school. This is only my third year. Right. Um, and in, within my room, um, I guess that's where I felt like what, what I could control. Yeah. Um, some years were just a lot of drama. Um, people just talking about one another or making threats or saying really vulgar, disgusting things. Yeah. Um, and we, you know, you just kind of work through it, but you're right. Some of it was absolutely bullying. Some of it was, you know, a one-time thing and then it ended. Yeah, just a um, conflict. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I think that's where building the relationships with kids and helping them to navigate, even at, at that age of like 10 to 12 years old, like what's tattling and what's reporting mm. um, and, and, let, and, and being able to, to figure out the difference, um, that's hard to do. And so I would have some kids that would kind of over-report, um, but I would rather have them over-report, and then I can kind of correct a little bit of, okay, well, let's think about it this way. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So, yeah, just really, you know, being being a counselor in that capacity, being a listener. Yeah. Um, people have said, oh, you make such a good counselor, and, <laughs> and that's really nice, but that's – counselors at this point, um, especially in middle schools – they are much more like scheduling, um, doing testing at the at the high school level. You know, they're getting kids ready for college. They're not really doing the sit down, talk with kids about their emotions kind of thing. Sure. That the, the job has has changed, and I feel like if I were going to be a counselor, I wouldn't see I wouldn't see these kids. It's mm-hmm. because I work with them day in day out. Right. That they trust me. That you get trust to build is those relationships. Because, yeah. yeah. Because we're together. Um. So, yeah, at this point, the classrooms that I have, bullying is, has really not been an issue or it's been really short term um, because a lot of the kids, they'll come and talk to me because they trust me and they know that we'll take care of it. Yeah. Um, 
and they've also, you know, they've they've heard about some of, of my feelings and my struggles. And they're like, well, I, I like you and I don't want to see you hurting. So yeah, why would I want to do that to somebody else? Or I wouldn't want somebody to do that to me. Um, you know, it really, it goes back to that really simple golden rule concept. Um, but we just tend not to let things fester for very long. We just try to kind of tackle them fairly, you know, gentle, but head on. And, and then we, we try to put it away and, and move on as best we can. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. I, I think I just don't know. I'm not in touch with enough of that, you know, and working in the I worked in schools and special education, kind of the, some of the people that you've mentioned, you saw that I've had on the podcast and whatnot, but, mm-hmm. um, so it's just, it's just different there. You know, it's, it's not the same oh, yeah. and, and I don't have that connection to that. I just have my experiences from, from middle school and just knowing, man, it was just hard. And, uh, you know, I, I some of it's made me who I am today, you know, and, and good oh, ways, yeah. right? Like it's made me, it, it forced me at, at some point in time, I had to stand up for myself and I learned that, you know, it's okay to stand up for myself and, uh, to protect myself and whatever. But, and then I don't know, there's just different things, different aspects to that. And, um, just that empowerment piece I think is, is huge too of, um, within the, the world of education. It's just an interesting time. It's an interesting thing to deal yeah. with. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of talk and I think, um, you know, it, it looks different these days as well. Um, with again, technology and, and the internet, like we oh, have it today, but I'm so glad that I didn't grow up with social media. Me too. Me I don't, too. I don't know. I don't know what I would have done. Yeah. It would have been, it would have been too much, I think. Yeah. I, and I have, I'm, I'm in touch with a lot of my former students that, you know, are high school, things like that. And a lot of them, um, they, they don't use, they, they have selected like, I'm not on social media very much. Yeah. Um, you know, like, Hey, here's, you know, one of my girls I recently ran into, it's her junior year. And she's like, yeah, I'm not on any of it. So here, you know, we can maybe tech, we can text each other, but you won't ever see me like on, on any sort of social media. I'm like, you know what? Good for you. Yeah, absolutely. Simplify your life because what's out there probably isn't necessarily what you want or need right now. Absolutely. I wanted to pick your brain. Um, and, and, Here's some of your thoughts, maybe. I have my own, you know, things. I, I think that the millennial generation gets a bad rap. I think they get beat up on a lot. And, uh, you know, there's there's pros and cons to every little groups and whatnot, right? But I would love to hear maybe just some of your thoughts. And, and you know, we get this entitlement idea and people talk about this all the time and um, you know, we've we just kind of touched on the social media aspect of things, and this is kind of one of the first groups that's kind of going through that. And and just this time, what what are your thoughts on the millennial generation? And um, I don't know, just where the world will be with them in it. Yeah, um, I I have found in general that I really don't like the idea of grouping people by generation at all. Sure. Um, we we're seeing this okay boomer thing have, yeah. have a slight surge right now, and and I even find that offensive. I, I'm I'm a Gen Xer. My sure. mom is is a baby boomer, but my mom has even said my way of thinking and wanting and, and way of that I would like to see things done in our society. She said I think much more like a millennial. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
you know, the OK Boomer thing, I think, that you know, what the person that both of them, you know, OK, it was it was a quick little quip. Um, the person that was you know called Boomer said something that was fairly out of touch. Yeah. But that's not that's not every person from that generation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, same thing with millennials. You know, there's people from every generation that are entitled because mm-hmm. of how they've grown up, whether it is, you know, money or privilege or both or, or whatever narcissism, selfishness, whatever got them there. I really don't necessarily think that when you're born um, is is a bigger factor than than socioeconomic status, that that kind of thing. Um, I know plenty of millennials that are. I mean, Invisible Children was a great example of a movement that was led by millennials. I was like 10 years older than most of the people that, that were there that were hardworking, compassionate, caring people. Um, so yeah, I've, I, just because they have, they've grown up with certain pieces of technology that people from a different generation created to make their lives easier. Like why, <laughs> exactly. why are they to blame for this? Yeah. You know, this is like the, everybody gets a, gets a trophy. You know, those kids that grew up with that, they didn't ask for that. No, there were, there were a set of adults that from what I can tell are from my generation, that were the ones that were so worried about their children feeling left out or getting mm-hmm. their feelings hurt when that's the reality. You know, yeah. we don't all come in first. Um, yeah. That's that's just how things are. And that is OK. Yep. Um, it's OK to not, lose. It's OK to, to not get what you want sometimes. Yeah. And, and I don't think that, you know, any. Something. Any human of any age needs to be destroyed and completely broken down to understand how the world works. But Absolutely. But I think there's there's a time and a place for for small disappointments and failures and just hey this just didn't work out sure. so that they can grow from that. Yeah. So yeah, I'm. Uh, this has been a conversation that I've been having for a while with with people. Um, I sure. really don't like the idea of of pigeonholing people by generation. I I can appreciate that and and honestly I brought it up because I f- I had a feeling that you would have a, a, an opinion similar to mine or similar to what you just said. And, uh, um, yeah, I don't know. I just think that one thing I continue to say is I think the world's in good hands, you know, uh, mm-hmm. the millennial generation is a very empathetic group of people that want to help the world. And, and, uh, I, I, I think they get a bad rap and I don't think it's fair. I so, agree. Um, yeah, I just thought, I, you know, you, you're a teacher, you're in the education world, you see these students and the way that they're, you know, you, you've been a part of this generation, you know, the millennial generation. I, I'm kind of a millennial. I'm on the very front side of that, but I don't really, I, I have some tendencies for sure, but, um, I don't know. It's just interesting. I find myself in, in the middle there, but it just in general, I, I, I just think that they get a bad rep and I, uh, yeah, but I agree with you that, you know, kind of just pigeonholing people into these specific tribes is, Problematic. And I think if we watch, um, is this the, the kids, the generation right now that's coming up, are they Gen Y? I don't even know, to be completely honest. Um, and, and I think if we watch, we're going to see them get a bad rap and talk about yep. how entitled that they are. Well, um, and all like the generations generation kind of have, that, yeah. That moves through something that isn't touched by a world war, they're considered entitled. And I'm like, why? Because, you know, say technology improved our our lives improved how we shared resources improved see this Um, this is my theory though this is what one of my theories is like 
there's these extreme things of uh, that are going on in the world, you know, and these extreme things, we quote, we'll say, quote, extreme things that people, you know, the PC culture and these different things that people are like within the millennial uh, generation is kind of like taking a hold of and saying like, this is something we care about. And other people are looking at them going like, why do you care about that? Why is this such yeah. a big deal? Right. But I think yeah. that these, these wars, I think that the conflicts that have gone on in the other generations, it's something that people have rallied behind. It's something that people have, have it's been a higher focus, right? That's their mm-hmm. thing that they got to elevate and be like, this is what we care about. This is what we get to stand behind. And the millennial generation is trying to find their place, trying to find where they can, they can, give back and where they can make their mark. And I think that this is why we're seeing some of these. And some people see it as low hanging fruit or things that aren't, don't matter. But I think that it it is important. It's a, the conversations are important, whether we, whether you agree with it or not, it starts a conversation and allows, allows progress. And I think that that's important. Agreed. And, and there's, there's so many things that need to be fixed. Yeah. There's so many places to put your energy and your passion, whether it is in planting trees or helping children or helping yeah. the elderly or yeah. or saving animals. There's there's a place for even the smallest things. And I 100%. think maybe that's what's nice is there are so many actions of small kindnesses that can build up to something really good. Um that that it's you're right those those small things it doesn't matter if it's low hanging fruit yep. if if you're not the one to pick it then it sits there and rots so Absolutely. those people that want to go out and pick that low hanging fruit because that's what they can do or that's what they can care about in the moment they're they're not hurting anybody so Absolutely preach I the love other it. thing <laughs> is that I I feel like you know when we talk about well we do talk about the baby boomer generation and we talk about our world wars um they didn't have the societal fragmentation that we have now. And Correct. I, and I don't mean, I mean, we, we know that racism was alive and well, yeah. um, and, and sadly still is. Um, mm-hmm. but what I mean is that because we have so much more technology that people can choose to listen to the news and the entertainment and the music that they want to. And, there's not a lot of common ground. There's, there's so many gaps for differentiating experiences. Whereas if you go back and look, um, when we had the draft, um, and granted this is much more for our men. Um, we had men of all walks of life, all coming together to defend our country. It affected so, the women too, though, but just differently. It, you're absolutely because, right. Because, because the men because went off to war. Yep, and the women came together in a different form. And there were women form. there as nurses, that kind of thing. 100%. But as for the draft itself, um, we know that the you know the draft at that point was was done for our our male population. So not to say our women weren't affected, because we absolutely were. Um, but when you have all these walks of life coming together then you have a united common experience. Yes. And and not to say that and it was I hard. love the idea. I it don't love hard. the idea of the draft, but sure. I do like the idea of civil service. Yes. There is a tremendous amount of work to be done in this country, yes. whether it's infrastructure, um, say helping people. There's there's a lot to be done. Yes. And I do feel like this opportunity of, you know, a year of civil service people choose to do more that's fine yes we would do much better 
bringing bringing some people home to to do the work that needs to be done mm. and then everybody shares a common experience you know we've all been out raking leaves we've yes. all been out helping to to rebuild a park we've all been out helping the elderly mm-hmm. um and then we would have a united common experience to stand yeah. behind and it's it's not generally going to create things like PTSD, um, like, yeah. like a war can often do, where you yeah. come home, you know, just shattered mm-hmm. physically and emotionally and have to rebuild from there. So, and yeah, I think that, but I think that said, that's it. Hey, civil service, I'd be all about that. 100%. I, I, I think I'd be on board with that as well. My wife and I have talked about that as well, just kind of that idea or that concept. But I think that what you said with like, you know, the conflict, like they went through that generation went through something that was so hard, you know, mm-hmm. it, it took such a toll mentally, physically, um, and then just forced to go back to the way things were, you know? And mm-hmm. I think that, I think that it's just, unfortunately, I think we just see things as like, well, my thing was more important or, or harder, or whatever, worse or whatever it is, you know, we're, we've putting levels on these things instead of looking and being like man you're going through something too i went through something yours is just different than what i went through exactly Does that makes sense it's finding yeah. our commonalities of like hey we're both you're going through something now and i want something here this was my experience and this is your experience they're apples to oranges to bananas whatever it is they're not the mm-hmm. same but they're still fruit you know yes. and uh i think that we have to stop looking at them as like well i went through something worse than you did or harder or whatever it is and look at go hey, that we have a common bond here and yeah. finding those we, commonalities. Yeah, we don't need to compare our suffering. It's, no. it's not a competition. No. Melanie, we're we're at 80 minutes here. We've got 10 more minutes, and uh, I'd like to just kind of work towards closing things out. I've got a couple more questions for you. Um, what are you looking forward to most in the future? Um, honestly, traveling. Yeah. Um, I absolutely, that's, that's the thing that my husband and I enjoy doing the most. Um, and so I feel like at this point for my career and my academics, um, I feel like I'm actually satisfied with, with where I am. It doesn't mean that future moves might not, might not take hold or other opportunities might not come at me, but I feel like I'm finally like pretty settled, which is very strange. Um, cause I'm so used to climbing a ladder, um, that I'm like, Oh, I, in, in this one way, I, I think I am satisfied with, with this arrival. That's awesome. Um, yeah. So um, our goal right now is um, to see all 50 states by the time we're both 50 years old. Cool. Um, we're, at, we're each at 46 states right now. Nice. So we still have to get, uh, let me see, Alaska and Hawaii, North Dakota, Nevada, and then my husband still needs to see New Mexico. Okay. Um, Do you have like criteria for that? Is it like you have to stay overnight one night or like what's the criteria? Yeah. I mean, yeah, really it has to be, you have to stay and do something. Cool. Um, being in an airport absolutely doesn't that count. Yep. Um, yeah. So I think dri- even if you drive through it, because usually, you know, you have to stop along the yeah, way. At least once. Yeah. As long as you are like driving and taking in the sights, that, that counts. Cool. Yeah. Do you ever think about your legacy? Um, yes. And, and I think part of the reason that I think about it is because, um, we don't have children. And so that means that, yeah. that my legacy will, will exist differently. Sure. Um, and I feel really fortunate 
that I have been able to form relationships with with a lot of my students that just with with effort, but not nothing artificial or contrived. Um, I, I'm still in touch with a lot, a lot of kids. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them is is not even remotely a child anymore. Um, she's 30. Yeah. Um, I met her my very, very first year teaching back in fall of 2000. And I gave her a student of the month award in June of 2001. Um, and we formed a bond where I had met her parents, her best friend's mother worked at my school. Yeah. And so we just allowed, um, a mentorship to kind of foster over the years. Um, and now she lives three blocks away from me. Um, I was her matron of honor in her wedding. Uh Um, she was, she was at my wedding. Um, my mom helped to coordinate everything. Um, we, we planned, I did all of her flowers, and my husband officiated her wedding. So That's beautiful. I, I feel like, you know, she will be, um, her name is Lindsay. She will be a big part of, of my legacy. Um, we also have another former student who just graduated who's actually playing soccer out at Bethel. Oh, cool. Um, his name is Augustine. My and, old uh, alma mater. Yep. And <laughs> he um, he's another one that we've known since he was 10. Um and we will we will know him for the rest of his life. That's so um, cool. Yeah. So there, and that's just two of them. There are so many of our kids that our legacy is going to live on, and in, in how we have touched their lives. Um, there's actually this is God. I've forgotten about this, and I can't believe how I would forget. Um, several years ago, one of my students, um, his mom was pregnant. And his cousin was in our uh, our class at the time and came in during lunch and said, hey, um, Christian's mom had her baby. And I was like, oh, really? And she said, yeah, they named her Melanie. Oh, and wow. That's so I cool. I was like, oh, what a cool coincidence. What an honor, yeah. And my husband looks at me and he said, um, sweetie, that's not a coincidence. Mm. And they and so I, I got a hold of, of Christian and uh, I said, so, you know, congratulations on the baby sister. I said, I heard she has she has a really pretty name. And he wrote back. He said, yeah, she's named after my favorite teacher. Oh, I'm like, uh, guys. <laughs> it was, it so was cool. unbelievable. I'm like, there. I don't need any more awards, accolades. None yeah. of it matters right there. Like, that's that's just one more more legacy. So, wow. yeah, that, that's still that's incredibly special. Uh, I'm like crying. That's so beautiful. <laughs> uh, last question. Looking back, what advice would you tell little Melanie? Oh, oh, that poor girl. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what? I've actually, that's an excellent question because I have kind of thought about that. Um, I think very simply it would be give it time. Um, I remember going through, you know, a lot of really hard things kind of all at once and just kind of like asking, like, why? Like, Mm. what is the purpose of all of this? This is too much. It hurts. Um, And and, and I will say um, with that, that I've never been I I, I'm empathetic to people who have mental health issues um, that are suicidal, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, that's that, that I feel very fortunate that has never been me. Yeah. Um, but I do recall having those moments of laying in bed and just like, why? Mm. Um, 
and and really kind of the answer came and it was to make you stronger um and and it was that's and I have, I have become stronger. And I think the the nice thing is at this point, and I've been very fortunate to have, have built a comfortable life. Um, I have an amazing husband and, and we are, we're just such a cool team. He's such an yeah. amazing person um, that I'm not struggling. Um, I'm not struggling financially. I, I don't really need for anything, which is very, very strange. Um, I still, you know, like I kind of pull up to my house and I'm like, I get to live here and there's like a garage there's like a house for my cars this is really cool yeah i mean it's just the simplest of, of things like yeah. if, if an appliance dies like really we're we're still going to be able to keep all the everything else working and we're not going to be broke and we can replace this with a new thing yeah huh. i mean i'm not saying money buys happiness but no. it can definitely take care of some stability issues yeah so yeah li- little melanie i think just well she was so sensitive i think she needed to have a slightly thicker skin yeah um, I think she should have stood up for herself mm. sooner. Um, I was so scared of so many things. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it would just be, you know, don't take things so personal, let things go, toughen up, give it time and it'll, it'll all come together. Awesome. Let's let, let's end it there. All right. Melanie, uh, we've got about one more minute. Is there anything you want to share you want to tell your students, share with the world, uh, plug anything you want to. This is your time. Oh, goodness. You know, I mean, there's so many things. I, I guess I would just say do what you love. Um, my mom and I always kind of talked about that we are Renaissance women, um, and I, which means I'm kind of a dabbler. And we're jack of all trades, master of none, interested yeah. in everything. Um, breathe love yourself um be be your own best friend talk to yourself how you would talk to your best friend that that really needs you so i think that would be my advice i love it thank you so much for coming on the show i really appreciate it thanks shane it's been a pleasure awesome i'm gonna close things out thank you all so much for listening please visit us on facebook and instagram where you can like and comment on our posts If you would want to go above and beyond, please share the Crazy Face Uno podcast with your friends and family or just random strangers on the street. We're welcome to everyone. Once again, please visit crazyfaceuno.com. You can buy our merchandise and donate. Contributions help us tell more stories like Melanie's and stories just like yours. Thank you all again for listening. We love you all. Peace.